Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Thank you. For the few who are attentive, thank you. All right. My name is Obed, and I'm one of the leaders here. And it's a joy um, for me to um, be standing here this morning. First of all, if you are new, um, I'm glad you made it to the right location. I wonder who went to our previous location. Anyone? Oh, I am so sorry. <laughs> uh, apparently, we updated our website, didn't we? Did we? I think we did. But anyway, uh, welcome. I'm glad you made it. And thank you for dedicating every one of you. Thank you for dedicating this part of your Sunday to be with us. We live in San Diego. It's America's finest city. Um, yes, it is, and there's a ton to do, so Sunday morning you could be doing so much more, but you have decided to be here this morning, and I believe you have made um, the right decision. Um, I believe this morning God will meet you um, in ways that you never thought possible. This is a milestone for King's Cross Church in so many ways. And the reason I say that is this is the first Sunday, um, um, the first Sunday we are gathering here as a merged church with Solway. You can make some noise for that. God has been so good and so gracious. He has brought about his great purposes um, in this city through our churches for the glory and, and exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ. Um, and so this morning we meet um, not to celebrate, necessarily celebrate um, the, the, the success of the merger or um, the, you know, the relocation into a permanent space, but we gather ultimately to exalt Jesus in our midst so that we can be sent out to make him famous. If you have your Bible, turn it to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through to 20. Um, this morning, we're going to be starting a sermon series um, entitled The Church. We're going to be looking at the nature and the purpose of the church. In other words, we're going to be looking at the church and figuring out what is the church um, and what is not the church. Um, this is the first Sunday, and in August, we're going to dedicate time to do that. And so Matthew chapter 16 Verses 13 to 20 will be our reading this morning. And as is our custom, in an effort to honor God's word, may you please stand for the reading of it. It feels so weird being up here and seeing you guys stand up. Back at the Soledad Club, everyone stood and I was like, giant. Anyway, <laughs> Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20 reads. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, 
He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. That's such a cool name, Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. My goodness, what a passage. Let's pray and then we'll dive right into it. God, you are king. You are Lord, you are Savior, and we ask this morning as we have gathered here that you would be glorified, that you would be exalted in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, have a seat. Have a seat. As you do, I want to say some thank yous to a few people who've made this possible. First of all, to Taylor, Craig and Taylor. They have done a phenomenal job. Two, three, four. Here we go. Um, they've done a fantastic. Is that better? Yeah. Cool. All right. Lovely. Um, they've done a fantastic job. Um, also, Jeremy and Nicole finances and all that lovely stuff. Look. I I could mention a bunch of names. Bobby Shook, obviously. Um, So many people have made this possible. There's still some work to be done, but we are at a good place um, thanks to our amazing team. And so thank you, team, for that lovely stuff. We are here to talk about the church. And so uh, I've been thinking about Jesus, um, and I've been thinking about who he is and what he's done. And as a church, we are passionate about Jesus. It's because, because Jesus is the one. Um, that has made everything that we've been able to experience and achieve um, in this city possible. And if you think about human history, if you think about the vast um, canvas of human history, um, there stands a figure so prominent. Um, His name is Jesus, and his influence transcends and outshines any figure in human history. Um, Jesus healed um, those who were in despair and afflicted. He defied and dismantled the corrupt powers that be. Um, what Jesus, Jesus was so compassionate in that he brought so much comfort to those who were low, um, kind of those of the lowest by society. And remarkably, Jesus emerged victorious over the seemingly invisible foe, death itself. There's simply no parallel 
to the phenomenon that is Jesus. He is a character that remains profoundly fascinating to this day, no matter who you are and what you believe about him. C.S. Lewis, who I love so much, not just because he's British, but he wrote some awesome books, had this to say. A man, talking about Jesus, he said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a porched egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man, that is Jesus, was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. And so in your opinion, who is Jesus to you? There are a lot of fascinating things about Jesus, but one of his most fascinating but overlooked attributes um, was his ability to ask thought-provoking questions. One day, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to the villages of Caesarea Philippi when he asks them the following question. Who do people say that I am? And that question, when I think about it, is not just for the disciples back then, but I think we should be asking the same question. Or Jesus is asking you the same question as his follower. Who do people say Jesus is? His disciples responded, some say you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Um, they, um, that's what they said. But Jesus looked at them and said, like, who do you think that I am? They responded, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter replied. After Peter's response, there was silence. No one else said anything. And then Jesus looks at Peter, smiles, and says to him, in Matthew 16, 17 to 18, Blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That day, Jesus made a promise. And that promise was that he would build his church. And since Jesus spoke those words, he's absolutely kept his promise. He's been building his church. During the years before and after Jesus' life and death, there were many messianic movements in Israel. These were movements where the leader claimed to be the Messiah, the promised deliverer of the nation of Israel. But in almost every case, when the leader was killed, these movements came to an end. Christianity 
was the only messianic movement that did not end, but instead went viral and grew rapidly after the death of its leader. In fact, in its first few centuries, and this is fascinating, right? Christianity spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, and by AD 300, despite intense persecution, historians estimate that 10%, 10% of the Roman Empire identified as Christian. That's crazy. And to this day, Christianity continues to grow and spread. Today, almost one in three people around the world say they are followers of Jesus. This makes Christianity the most popular belief system in the world, and this number is not expected to decline, but rather grow. Why is that? Because Jesus made a promise to build his church, and what has, been do- what has he been doing ever since? Building his church. The Bible, best-selling book of all time, estimated 5 billion copies sold and distributed. The church is still growing and taking new ground, even in unchurched parts of the world. Jesus has and continues to fulfill his promise to build his church. And guess what? Our very own church, King's Cross Church, which came into existence like five years ago, is part the fulfillment of this promise. It's crazy. If you've been attending King's Cross for a while, you probably know what our vision and mission is. We stay every Sunday. What is it? We are a church family on mission with Jesus. Who are we? We're a church family. What are we doing? We're on mission with Jesus. This is our goal. This is our purpose, our desire, and what we strive towards. And we strive towards to be a church family on mission with Jesus. This vision statement, if you boil it down to its core, is essentially about the church. What the church is and what the church does. Our vision statement um, it is biblical. What I mean is that it isn't based on a creative idea or something we came up with. Uh, the whole idea of us being a church family on mission with Jesus isn't original to us, but it originates from Scripture. And so from this Sunday um, and for the next two weeks of August, this is what we're going to be doing. We're going to be taking a closer look our mission and our vision as a church. In a nutshell, we'll be doing a sermon series on the church, the nature and purpose of the church, what it is and what it isn't. And so the question is, why the need as we have reached this milestone and this chapter in our church, why the need for us to do a sermon series on the church? First, we just merged and became one church family. At the beginning of July, after much prayer and conversations, the leaders of both King's Cross and Solway decided to become one church. As we explored this merger from the very beginning, we became confident that we are better together than we are apart. 
As a result of this merger, the members of Solway agreed to begin a new chapter with King's Cross. The month of July was dedicated to bringing this merger to fruition, and this is the first Sunday we're meeting together as one church in this building. In light of this merger, we thought it would be absolutely appropriate and beneficial to dedicate the month of August to a sermon series on the purpose and nature of the church. And if you think about it, when two congregations are merging, it's like two families coming together. Each family has its unique ways of doing things, and that's where a sermon series like this is beneficial. What better time to remind all of us, each other, about our core beliefs and values than when we're starting this new chapter together. The second reason for this series on the church is that it has the potential to provide healing for those who have been hurt by the church. In a room of this size, I wouldn't be surprised if most of you have experienced some sort of hurt from the church. This is part of why we're doing this sermon series on the church. We really believe it has the power to offer some real healing for some of those past hurts. And so have you been hurt by the church? And if you have, how have you been hurt by the church? I know it's a tough question. And it can bring up some difficult memories and emotions, but it's important for us to address it. Here's what we're hoping for with this series. We pray that as we delve into these teachings about the church, it will give you a fresh perspective of the church and maybe even reignite your desire to reconnect with your faith community. That's our heartfelt prayer for each and every one of you. The third reason for this series is that some of the members of our church family are grieving loss. Let me explain. As a result of this merger... The members of Solway humbly agreed to close their church and become part of King's Cross. Although there is excitement about what is next, the closure of a church, any church, even due to a good thing like a merger, can trigger complex emotions. As the dust settles and the reality of the situation hits, this merger can stir up a whirlwind of mixed emotions like feelings of loss, confusion, or even betrayal. I want to address members of Solway. 
I know it's been a tough season. It really has. A church you've come to love and you've invested so much time and energy into has had to close its doors. And although you're hopeful and excited about the future, it's still hard. Still a lot of difficulty about kind of the trajectory and how things unfolded and everything like that. It's tough. And our hope and our prayer for you is that a sermon series like this, and let me just say, like, this sermon series is not going to, you know, solve everything. It's a good beginning, but a sermon series and our continual pursuit of Jesus and God's purpose for the church, we believe and hope it will provide you with a lifeline during this period by returning to the foundational truths of the church. We hope we can find stability amidst change and ultimately be reminded of God's faithfulness. The last reason for this series is the fact that we have a building. Okay? As King's Cross Church relocates into a building after not having one for the first five years as a church is a significant milestone. The last five years we've been meeting at the Solidar Club, meeting in restaurants and coffee shops and wellness centers and all of these places and we've been a mobile church and it's been awesome. But this is a different season where we are in a permanent facility and in the midst of all this excitement, there's a need to reflect on what the church truly means. It can be exciting to finally have a permanent space and have rootedness in this community, but it's also time for us to emphasize that the church is not a building itself, but the church is really about us, the people, and our unity in Christ. That's what the church is about. And I've been trying to do my best to help my kids see this. Um, whenever we're on our way to this building and they say, Dad, we're going to church. I go, no, we're not. <laughs> the church is not a building, but a people. <laughs> and I get it, whatever. I'm like one of those sniper dads, you know, looking for them to say something incorrect. And here I come to correct them. My son's here, and he's like, oh, is that what you've been doing, Dad? <laughs> it's not about bricks and mortar, but it's all about Jesus, the King, who brings us together. In this sermon series at this important crossroads will make us reflect, learn, and grow, setting a strong spiritual foundation as we step into this new and exciting chapter together. Because of these reasons and more, it's important we begin this new sermon series um, about the church. And we're going to be doing this month of August, and as we start this exploration, um, our hope and our prayer is that we would grow to love and appreciate Jesus and his church more. And so, the question is, let's get right into it. What is the church? First, the church is not a place but a people. 
And I'm going to unpack this a bit more. Uh, let me ask you a question. When you think about the church, what do you think of? What do you picture or imagine when you hear the word church? The church is, how would you fill in the blank? If you met someone who had no idea of what the church is and they asked you, what is the church? How would you respond? What would you say? It was only until the New Testament that the word church begins to appear. If you read your Bible. It appears for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, in the, you know, in the passage we read this morning, when Jesus assured his disciples and ultimately us that he would build his church. It makes other appearances in other Gospels, makes an appearance in the book of Acts, the letters of Paul, um, and in the book of Revelation. The books of the New Testament were written in Greek, and because of this, the word church in our English Bibles comes from the translation of the Greek word ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. It's a Greek. If you come to this church, you're going to learn some Greek. Ecclesia comes from two Greek words joined together. The first is kaleo, which means to call, and the second is ek. Very simple, which means out. And so put together, the word church then refers to people who are what? Who are called out. In other words, the church is everyone, everywhere, who is called by God to join together with his people for the advancement of his mission. This is the basic meaning of the word church. And so today, or later this week, if someone asks you, what is the church? Don't say it's a building, okay? Get into the Greek and everything. Another important thing you need to know about the word church in the Bible is that it's sometimes used for every follower of Jesus from his very first disciples to the most recent convert. For example, in Matthew 6, 16, 18, when Jesus said, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about a specific local church that meets in a building somewhere. No, what he meant was that he would build together or bring together people who would be his followers in all of the years to come. Sometimes the saying Universal church or invisible church is used to describe the church. But other times, church can also mean congregations and communities of Christians who are committed to meeting together in a particular location. You'll hear most people use the term local church or visible church to describe this. And so when we refer to our church, King's Cross, as a church, what we don't mean is that it's a universal church, okay? 
But in particular, what we do mean is that it's a church made up of people who are called by God um, that live in San Diego who are committed to Jesus and to each other. And so in light of everything we've just learned about the church, the thing that should stand out to you the most about the church is that the church is not a place, but it's a people. This means you don't go to church on a Sunday. You are the church every day, but you gather locally as the church on Sunday in a building. So a Sunday morning isn't church, but it's actually the gathering of the church. And when we leave the church building, we leave this building on Sunday, we're not leaving the church. We are leaving as the church. This is what the church is, and this is, and the church is everyone everywhere who is saved by God to love and live for his son, Jesus Christ. This definition is the bedrock of the Bible's view of the church. Mark Dever, who is an expert when it comes to ecclesia, I can't pronounce it now, to the church. Yes, ecclesiology. Thank you. He said this. This is so embarrassing. Apparently, I have a seminary degree. Mark never said, <laughs> the church is, a, is not a place, it's not a building, it's not a, preach, a preaching point, it's not a spiritual service provider, it's a people, the new covenant, blood-bought people of God. Bang! What a summary. But the Bible has much more to say about what the church is. The church is not only a people, but the church is also a family. In the New Testament, the church is described using several images. It's described as the bride of Christ, or it's described as the temple of the Holy Spirit, or other places, it's even described as the, um, um, the body of Christ. And the church is also described in the New Testament as a holy priesthood. But there's another metaphor the Bible uses to describe the church, and that is family. Have you ever wondered why followers of Jesus called each other brothers and sisters, even though they weren't related and they came from different ethnicities? Have you also wondered why Christians often address God as Father? This is why Christians view themselves not as members of a club, but as members of a family. As you read the New Testament, as you read the Gospels, or even the historical account of the church in Acts, and Paul's letters to various churches, you'll see this reoccurring pattern. Christians consistently addressing each other as brothers and sisters. But it doesn't stop there. You'll also see God being addressed as father um, by Christians. For example, most of you know the Lord's Prayer. Okay? What's the beginning of it? Our Father. All right? Who is in heaven? 
In his letters to the churches, Paul often referred to his recipients as brothers and sisters in Christ. The term family may not be used to describe the church in the Bible, but the concept is certainly implied when Christians refer to God as Father and Christians refer to each other as brothers and sisters. That Hattie Lewis, the respected pastor, he suggests that the idea of the church as a family is more than just a metaphor. He says this, the church is not like family, it is family. God is literally our father. Jesus is literally our elder brother, and we are literally brothers and sisters in Christ. Family is the primary way the early church identified themselves. The idea of church being a family has to be one of the most beautiful things about the gospel. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we've all been adopted into God's family. And when we're adopted into the family of God, not only is God our father, but we're brothers and sisters to one another. This is why we have chosen to identify ourselves as a church family. I want you to do something. I want you to just take a moment and look around. Just look around the room. Look at the people in the room. Don't look up. Look around the people in the room. All right, that's enough. Listen to this. This is crazy. If you're here and you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, the reality is every Christian here is your brother or your sister. The reality is this. Check this out. You have more in common with followers of Jesus than you have with members of your family who are not Christians. That's tough to hear in so many ways, but it's true. The reality is, if you're a Christian, you also have more in common with a Christian who lives in Africa than you do with someone in your political party who doesn't follow Jesus. The reality is you have more in common with a Christian who lives in the slums of India than the people you work with who are not Jesus followers. This is the reality of what we're talking about here, man. Like when we talk about we're a church family, it's not just a, a cool and trendy way to describe a church. It's actually true. And this has to be one of the most staggering truths about being a Christian. Every Christian you come in contact with, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they look like, no matter the slight differences you have, if they are, by God's grace, a follower and worshiper of Jesus, they are your brother and sister in Christ. And this all gets even better, all right? Listen. 
If you're a Jesus follower, what this also means is that God is your father. Just pause for a, mean, a, a moment and just reflect on that truth. For real, like God, the, the creator of the universe, is your father? How does this truth make you feel? And I wonder how this truth will now impact the way you relate to God. And I wonder how this truth will affect the way you view the church. God is your Abba Father. And I know there are... There's so many complications that comes with that. And, you know, if you're like me and you have father issues, it can get so complex in so many ways. I know, but gosh, I think there is a time and place for us to just hear and reflect on the simple truth of the God of the universe being our father. And so, as our two churches come together to become one, remembering where a family is key. It's about knowing that despite any differences or challenges we might face, we're all part of one big family under God. We all share the same spiritual father, and we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And just like any other family, we'll have to learn. It's going to be a learning curve and process of growing together and celebrating our shared faith and supporting each other. This is a chance like no other chance or like no other opportunity you're going to get as a Christian to become even stronger as we bring together the best of both our church families. At the end of the day, we all share the same goal and that goal is to be a church family on mission with Jesus. What that means is that we exist to love God, love each other, and go out into our city and into our world so that many more people may come to know and worship Jesus the King. The church is a family because it's not a place but a people who are saved by Jesus and now relate to God as Father and to each other as brothers and sisters. King's Cross is not an event you attend every Sunday. It's a family you are part of. 
if you're involved in serving in this church, and I hope many of us jump in, roll up our sleeves, and continue to serve. If you're involved in serving, you're not volunteering at a nonprofit organization. You're serving and loving and caring for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And lastly, if you're a member of King's Cross, you're a member of a church family. These are truths and principles. And so the question we want to ask is, what does this all mean? What does this all look like? What does it actually fleshed out look like for us to be a church family? If we're a church family, how should we now relate to each other as members of the church family? These questions are important. And they're questions we plan to address next week. (laughs) Until then, may you rejoice in the reality that because of the person and the work of Jesus Christ, God is your Father. And you're part of His family. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we come before you today with hearts full of gratitude and anticipation. Just as our word says in Psalm 136 verse 1, we give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good. Your steadfast love endures forever. We celebrate this remarkable milestone, our first Sunday together as a merged church. We are in all of your faithfulness, God, that has brought us to this point, and we are excited for the journey that lies ahead. Father, we are two congregations now woven together by your Son, Jesus Christ. In this merging, Lord, we recognize that there may be hearts grieving the loss of their former church. And as it says in Matthew 5, 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God, we pray that you would comfort them and assure them of your unchanging love and presence. Just as a new family, God, takes time to understand each other. God, we pray that you would help us to understand one another better and to be patient with each other in love. Teach us, God, to value and honor the uniqueness of what we each bring into this new family of faith. As we embark on this sermon series, we pray like King David in Psalm 119. God, we pray that you would open our eyes that we may see wondrous things from your law. God, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds. Help us to understand your vision for the church. Let the truth of your word permeate our hearts, causing us to grow together in unity, in mission, and in love. God, as we journey forward as a united church, let us be reminded of the words in Hebrew 10.24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God, we're stepping out in faith, trusting you with our future. We humbly ask all this in the powerful and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read, Now as they were, that is Jesus and his disciples, eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given things, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. It's such a blessing to be standing here with you all today for our first official Sunday service as a merged church. Church family, as we gather here in this building, we have the privilege and the honor to partake in communion, the Lord's Supper together. Communion, as you know, is a sacred practice which was instituted by Jesus. It isn't just a ritual or tradition, but Jesus gave it to his followers as a reminder, a reminder of his sacrifice and a reminder of the unity we share because of him. So we're going to celebrate and partake in communion, but Before we proceed, it's important to note this, that the Bible instructs that communion is a practice for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. So if you're here today and you're still exploring the claims of Jesus and Christianity and trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus Um, we're incredibly thankful that you are here but what we want you to do is simply observe this part of the service communion is a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice through his body broken for us which is symbolized with these crackers that we have and his blood poured out for us, which is symbolized by the Jews, we remember his sacrifice, the cornerstone of our faith, and the reason we gather as a church. And so King's Cross Church, we want to celebrate and partake in communion. In a few minutes, um, we're going to start. We have the elements here. And what I would love for you to do is come up, When you are ready, grab a cracker, dip it in the juice, and go back to your seat. And what I want you to do is just wait and pray. And then you can take communion. Also, during this time and every Sunday, we we have a prayer team that are here to pray for you. To my right and left, we have Nikki and Wayne. And they are available to pray for you. We believe in the power of prayer because the God we pray to is all-powerful. And so take this moment, be free, 
not just to say communion, but if you need prayer for anything, just go up and pray.